Hello, everybody, and welcome again to the Good Trash Genre Cast, where we take a film studies sort of eye towards films that don't belong in a film studies course, although this particular film could be found in a film studies course. Well, we are in February, so we're doing anti-trash once again in honor of award season. But anti-trash with a spin, we're going to do kind of a, a love month anti-trash, so romance anti-trash. Played once, then. For all time's sake. I don't know what you mean, Miss Elsa. Play it, Sam. Play as time goes by. I'll have what she's having. Love means never having to say you're sorry. I wish I knew how to quit. Why don't you? Why don't you just let me be, huh? I have a love in my life. It makes me stronger than anything you can imagine. I would say that's that mattress, man. Mrs. Robinson, you're trying to seduce me. <laughs> particular film is Punch Drunk Love, um, Paul Thomas Anderson, Adam Sandler. It is a story of a man's love affair with a cell phone, but we're not going to get into those spoilers at <laughs> this point. Uh, we will uh, say more about that in a moment. First, we must identify the voices that are speaking to you through your headphones or speakers right now, or perhaps your computer. Um, to my left, sir, if you'd introduce yourself. I am Arthur Gordon, and I did buy all of that pudding so that I could get frequent flyer miles. Excellent, excellent. It's a good plan. It's a good plan. You know, there's a, there's a, there's definitely a, the hole there in their marketing strategy, don't you think, sir? I believe so. Uh, to the extreme left, if you would, ma'am. My name's Alexander Bohannon, and, and oh, I'm sorry. Was that like a secret pudding? Yes. Well, there's one person left besides me. <laughs> Go ahead and introduce yourself, sir. My name is Dalton Stewart, and I'm looking at your face, and I just want to smash it. I just want to fucking smash it with a sledgehammer and squeeze it. You're so pretty. That's what everyone says to me. Thank you very much for that, Mr. Dalton Stewart. My name is Dustin Sells, and I have a love in my life that makes me stronger than anything you can imagine. And I am so glad to be here with you all talking punch-drunk love. Now, we will avoid spoilers, but gang, this is not a review show. It's an analysis show, and that means and will require that we will do spoilers, but we will avoid them in the first little section of our show in which we give a synopsis and uh, our quick thumbs-up and thumbs-down reviews. Mr. Arthur Gordon, Voice of the Cinema, what is that synopsis? A psychologically troubled novelty supplier is nudged towards a romance with an English woman, all the while being extorted by a phone sex line run by a crooked mattress salesman and purchasing stunning amounts of pudding. 
stunning amounts of pudding. That pretty well covered uh, everything that happens every, in this movie. Every that aspect. was the complete plot, yes. The, the A, B, and C stories. You don't even need to watch it now. You can just go right. on. But unlike last week's synopsis, which provided by Sony Pictures, the interview synopsis, I thought that is it still has enough fun things left in it. But I felt like the interview synopsis kind of just laid it all out on the line. I think that's a fair assessment. Well, let's go ahead and move on. <laughs> you know, you know, this uh, review and analysis show is getting self-indulgent when we're uh, critiquing <laughs> the plot summaries. Yeah, something posted on the IMDb. <laughs> well, we read a lot of them. We do, we do. Well, let's begin with our quick thumbs up, thumbs down reviews. Alexander Bohannon, what say you? I really like this movie. I honestly had nothing. I have no preconception of what it was about, but I've really enjoyed it quite a bit. Um, of course, I think everyone has that first. 15 to 20 minute hurdle where you're just like, I'm not sure what's going on. But then you get over that hurdle and you realize that this is something very special. This is a special movie, especially because of Adam Sandler's unique and phenomenal performance. I mean, I who thought you would say phenomenal and Adam Sandler in the same sentence? I never thought that would be true. But I... I Everything about it, from the shooting to the colors to the the choices of the um, kind of the meta stuff, where what are those like the title dividers and all that that kind of happens with all the vivid colors, the inner titles, inner titles, yeah, all of that is just so wonderful, and it it's it's definitely an art house film. I mean, and it's and it's wonderful. I'm sorry, I, I feel like I could just go on and on rambling about how good it is. If I I don't even know if I have a criticism. I, I think it's just that good, and I would go home and watch it again right now. That's how much I liked it. And I don't say that about my very many films. Well, thank you very much, Ms. Alexander Bohannon. Mr. Dalton Stewart, what do you say in terms of review? I couldn't agree more, Alex. I, I hadn't seen Punch Drunk Love in a, a good number of years now. Uh, I think it might have been the first Paul Thomas Anderson movie I, I ever actually uh, watched. But, yeah, Sandler is absolutely remarkable here. I mean, he he is amazing. And, and Roger Ebert, when he wrote about this film, he talked a lot about how uh, Sandler's persona is, is used to great effect uh, uh, in his character and, and de- uh, putting some depth uh to that and, and you know there's there's always something to be said for when you cast a known quantity you are going to be using their persona to some extent to help cement that character uh, and i think that that's done very very well here by, by paul thomas anderson um casting a friend of a personal friend of his uh, adam sandler and th- this is just such a, a moving film and, and such a, a cute film and such a sweet film and also a really interesting film yeah, I, I I could I can't say enough good things about it. It's very well shot, very well scored. Uh, I really uh, Paul Thomas Anderson scores are always really kind of remarkable um, in the way that they they fully broaden the experience and the narrative. But but here it's especially you know the use of the harmonium in the score uh, while Sandler is kind of tentatively learning or teaching himself how to play the harmo- harmonium. There's more harmonium going on behind him. Uh, I, I just I. I like, yeah, I'm, I'm with Alex. I can't say enough good things about this film. Uh, I like Paul Thomas Anderson a lot as a director. Um, but there is just really something beautiful uh, about this film. that It, it isn't kitschy uh, in the way films about love can be. Because this is very much a love story uh, before anything else. I mean, there, there's, you know, the stuff with the phone sex line and there's the stuff with, with Sandler's uh, rage issues. But at the end of the day, it's, it's a film about love and, and how wonderful that can be. 
Excellent. Thank you very much, Mr. Dalton Stewart. Mr. Arthur Gordon, what do you say in review? Uh, strong thumbs up. Uh, this is a movie that I watched way too young the first time I saw it uh, before I was into film and movies. And so to me, Adam Sandler was Happy Gilmore, Billy Madison. And so this was just a really weird mm-hmm. thing to uh, take part in uh, at that age. Um, but I'm really gr- glad uh, we got to rewatch it and I got to rewatch it for the show. It's a really wonderful, weird, funny, strange movie. I, I can't agree more with uh, Alex and Dalton. I think this is just a, a field of praise for this film. Uh, Sandler's great. He's surrounded by a strong supporting cast, a lot of fun people here. And it's, it's just, they gel really well. I laughed and enjoyed it quite a bit. I think the pacing's really good. Uh, the soundtrack, the camera work, a lot of really cool long takes. Oh, that, that yeah. exit sign one when he's running down the hall. Yeah. The same one when he's running to the airplane to go to Hawaii. Oh, my gosh. Those are just, those are so cool. Oh, and the extended tracking sequences when yeah. he's running from the brothers. Yeah. yeah there's some. Uh, and you're right about that supporting cast, Arthur. Emily, I mean, Emily Watson and Marilyn Rice cover are both really, really good in this. Yeah. There's, there's a really cool Hitchcockian type of feel to that scene where he's running. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you see kind of his silhouette on the wall. It's really oh, yeah, old-fashioned, Hitchcockian, I think, and it's really cool. Yeah, I, I, I have nary a negative thing to say about this film. Excellent, excellent. Thank you very much, Mr. Arthur Gordon. I also like the movie very uh, much. I watched it for the very first time as an assignment in seminary. Yes, that's right. And, <laughs> awesome. And I, I would be interested to hear why. why. Yeah. Um, the redemptive power of love, I believe, was oh, okay. where it all went. Aww. So, you know, there's something to that. Um, but nonetheless, I, I really enjoyed the film. Uh, again, everything they've said, uh, color choices, uh, the sort of meta uh, nature of it, that he's wearing Gene Kelly sort of singing in the rain blue suit throughout the film. And it sort of seems like a musical in the way that it's structured, and it's not at all. His and, happy dance uh, in the grocery store. Yeah, that's Gene Kelly all over. That God, makes me so happy. But yes, it's very singing in the rain, but it also just doesn't that just make you happy? Yes, and fill you with joy. Yeah, it, it's definitely a happy making thing, mm-hmm. and uh, love it very much. Although every time I watch this film, I get physically angry, and I'm gonna tell you why. Mm-hmm. Is because I know Adam Sandler can do better than what he's been doing. <laughs> yeah, correct. And uh, this is because proof- he's that good in this movie. Yeah, he's so good. And yet he chooses these vehicles that are just ridiculous and a waste of everyone's time. So you don't think that I read one critics review that Sandler is uh, this amount of talent is extracted through him by the director. And it's not necessarily like, oh, this is always inherent within him, but it's just under the right directing. He can produce such a performance. Um, I, think that's, a, I there. think that's really dismissive. And I think that's one reviewer kind of being a twat. Honestly. Yeah, that. I mean, I don't. I can't remember who it was. Might have just someone on IMDb because but. because he's been good and he's been very good in other things yeah. by other directors. Correct. Um, some of them I'll talk about in Elsa instead. Yeah. It's not an entirely invalid thing to say, though, that there are some directors who are just excellent at evoking great performances. And I think Paul Anderson is one of those people. And so there's something to that. There is a validity that that, that, that has. But, yeah, I do think um, he genuinely is a talented actor. But, again, movie I really like very, very much. It's a lot of fun to watch. Um, I would give it four and a half bloody knuckles spilling love out of a possible five. Oh, I'd give it easily five tire irons out of five. I was thinking about four and a half. Pudding cups for twenty five cents out of five. I give it seventy eight hundred frequent flyer miles earned off of pudding out of eighty five hundred. That's outstanding. Well, thank you very much for uh, those ratings, uh, dear listener. We're now entering into spoiler territory as we do what we do, what we're here to do, which is bring analysis to this particular film. Miss Alexander Bohannon, what analysis bring at you? Well, um, I think one of the most powerful things about film is bringing 
yourself to the table and where you are in your life to the table um, when you experience a film. And today I'm going to talk to you about why, why, why Sandler acts the way he does because, he, I mean, it's very obvious that he has some psychological problems and he really needs to talk to somebody to the point where he's going to call so a phone sex line just to talk, not to receive services in, in a phone sex way. I think Adam Sandler, I've read a, a couple of synopses and this one did a really good job of char- characterizing that he has a psychological disorder, but a lot of them just focus on Adam Sandler's rage, which I think is kind of incorrect to think about. Send him home. Just send him home. Time to go home there, ball. Son of a bitch, ball. Why didn't you just go home? That's your home. Are you too good for your home? Answer me. Suck my white ass, ball. I don't really think that Adam Sandler is suffering from this, like, extreme bouts of range as he is suffering from extreme anxiety as someone that that experiences this kind of extreme anxiety kind of a generalized anxiety I can really read that in his performance and just the way he he treats other people the way he reacts to people and the hardest thing to learn whenever someone has anxiety is how to deal with it and as uh, sometimes it does come out those extreme emotional outbursts. And, you know, for me, that may be more of like a crying or like a panic attack. But for Adam Sandler, it is exhibited in this rage. So I, I feel like people that really focus on the rage are kind of missing the point. They're missing the point about the redemptive powers of love and how once you do find that outlet, that person to talk to, you can then kind of overcome these psychological symptoms of course they're not fixed forever but um, finding that person to be able to be in your corner and support you that way um, is one way to help function whenever Mm -hmm. you have such severe anxiety yeah definitely and the it reminded me of a film i have a problem with uh which is silver linings playbook which also struggles or features someone struggling with some mental health issues and um getting through them with love what the fuck Stupid fucking book. I just can't believe Nikki's teaching that book to the kids. I mean, it's the whole time. Let me just break it down for you. The whole time you're rooting for this Hemingway guy to survive the war and to be with the woman that he loves, Catherine Barkley. It's four o'clock in the morning, Pat. And he does. He does. He survives the war after getting blown up. He survives it and he escapes to Switzerland with Catherine. But now Catherine's pregnant. Isn't that wonderful? She's pregnant. And they escape up into the mountains, and they're going to be happy, and they're going to be drinking wine, and they dance. They both like to dance with each other. There's scenes of them dancing, which was boring, but I liked it because they were happy. You think he ends it there? No. He writes another ending. She dies, Dad. I mean, the world's hard enough as it is, guys. It's fucking hard enough as it is. Can't somebody say, hey, let's be positive? Let's have a good ending to the story? The way it's handled in that film, for some reason, I feel like it's very minimizing. It's like, oh, all you need to do is have sex with Jennifer Lawrence and all of your your bipolar disorder uh, you know, problems are gone. And I, I have some issues with that. In this, I, I don't feel like Adam Sandler's just better now that he has love. It's just he has someone that understands him. 
uh, and is able to kind of help him manage his issues. Um, and his issues are still very much there. He just channels them uh, in a more positive way. And I, I think that's very well said, Alex. Yeah, exactly. Um, I completely agree with what you said. And I've really f- enjoyed the score. I think the score was really what kind of zeroed in this kind of anxiety reading for me because um, the the difference between the 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 diegetic and the non-diegetic music, the, the line is so blurred, which I found super fantastic. The, the pipe, um, the harmonium, all of that being so blurred just kind of made me think of if I were in Adam Sandler's shoes and what would I be feeling? It, it really conveyed what the characters were feeling in that moment. I, I feel like the score kind of transcends you know, what's actually being played in the film and what isn't, almost. It does this beautiful thing with uh, the love sections, but it, I think it does an even more interesting thing with that sort of staccato percussive um, sound yeah, that it does when weird, he's ha- most like, manic. Yeah, the weird, machines, noises. And to me, I was just like, wow, this kind of captures for me what it feels like when I'm in those kind of, you know, emotionally absolutely. runaway kind of situations yeah, from, like from a, a formalist point of view absolutely it does a really good job of putting you in his headspace especially i'm thinking of the dinner party and you can feel how sandler is feeling uh just the just the build of the, the frustration with his family is your friend here no you're off the hook barry you can make it thank you you nervous no you look nervous I feel very happy good did you get your gym membership? Tomorrow. Hey, I had a girl who was going to be from Barry. She wouldn't let me do it. So I had this girl who was going to bring him, and yeah. she's totally awesome. We work together. Yeah. And he said that, uh, come on, gay boy, it's time to be. Who's he going to be? I don't know. He's like, maybe he's just worried that we're going to give him a bunch of shit. He said he, went, he wouldn't come if I brought him. He did? He said, you're an asshole. Why do you need to Absolutely, Alex. Man, I want to go home and watch this movie again right now. But um, yeah, I just think that the music really kind of ties it in, brings you into his headspace, and really lets you know, you know, hey, when you find that person you can talk to, it can really relieve a lot of those psychological problems. Well, thank you for that very much, Miss Alexander Bohan. And Mr. Dalton Stewart, what do you say in terms of analysis? Well, I've, I've talked quite a bit lately about societal pressures, um, both in Nightbreed and in Fight Club. I, I kind of keyed in on those. Um, and it came up again here, but in a, a way you wouldn't expect, in, in a much more smaller sense, and, and that's the way uh, family pressures um, can weigh very, very heavily on you. You know, you don't think, when you think about uh, sociology and sociological context, you don't think a lot about emotion, because that is, you know, typically the purview of, of psychology and psychoanalysis. Um, but emotion plays a very, very big role in society. I mean, uh, large systems are both affected by emotion and also, they're manipulated by emotion, but they also put emotions upon you. Um, and here, what, what we see is a very micro, a very small-scale, personal look at how a societal system is affecting Adam Sandler. You know, he's surrounded by um, these people who think they know him, and, and it just causes him no end of grief because they're constantly 
shoehorning themselves in his life, and and he really needs space and to to figure himself out, and they won't let him be, um, and, and so he chooses to isolate himself, and, you know, and, and his loneliness in the, in the first act of this film is really uh, pal- palpable for me. Uh, it just really is very, very, very real. Well, the degree to which he's henpecked, I mean, it really is is moving for me. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's definitely this uh, isolation that I sense, but he's got all of these people around him. He's he's truly lonely in a crowd because all the people around him are just, they're, they're, I mean, overbearing mm-hmm. almost isn't a sufficient word to describe um, his relationship with his sisters. Well, and you can see why he is lonely. He chooses to isolate himself because the only people that he you know has any connection with are exactly henpeck him to no to no end and just. Oh, do you remember when we called you gay boy? Like, clearly something he's still not over, like, just needling him constantly. So this the loneliness is just, I really relate to Sandler's character in this. Um, you know, I don't have seven sisters. I'm not that lonely. But, I mean, just there's something very uh, universal about the feelings that he's experiencing. Yeah, I would uh, second that. I mean, I really identify with Sandler's character a lot. I, I think that might be part of the the core crux of this movie is you know, Sandler as maybe your every man. For sure. There's a level of cruelty, though, on mm-hmm. the part of those sisters. Absolutely. Because they oh my know, God, yeah. I, I, there, there's no doubt in my mind, they know how much it bothers him to bring up the hammer-throwing story, to bring up the gay boy stuff. And uh, they, they're doing it because they, they know it bugs him. And I, it seems to me that they almost want to see those sort of reactions out of him. The the, the, the scenes in which he lashes out are, are, are really something. Um, they're all shot very well, but they're also very... You feel it. I mean, it is so hard not not to feel that weight upon you and just like uh, it's very cathartic for you as a viewer to see him lash out which is not necessarily a healthy behavior um oh no no i mean i understand completely as someone that used to have panic attacks like i i knew in the back of my mind i would feel better if i had a panic attack because it would be a release but at the same time the pain of a panic attack and the frustration and the fear and the agony of having it is just it's it's brutal. It, it's something that you, this really too so sharp, two edged knife. Well, but that brings us back to to these small scale spread, uh, small scale pressures I was talking about because it, a lot of his his emotional issues are, at a direct root related to the pressures he feels from his family, from this group of people who think they know him. And, and like Alex said, when he finds someone that does actually know him, he he's able to. I mean, his last uh, emotional outbursts in the movie are directly related to trying to keep this love and protect this love and hold on to it and, and find, uh, you know, a buoy in the storm, if you will, which I think is really lovely um, because throughout your life, you're going to be surrounded by forces and people who think they know you and think they know what's best for you. Be they, be they governments, be they churches, be they loved ones, you're going to be surrounded by people telling you what is best for you. And what you need to do. And, oh, I know how to take care of you. And what this film does really well is highlight that you're not going to be able to escape that. But what you can do is find a way to make those forces more palatable. To deal with them in a healthy way. And to channel your frustrations at the system. Your frustrations with your family. And and how to manage uh, those expectations. And how to live your own life and, and, and find your own bliss. 
Excellent, excellent. Thank you very much, Mr. Dalton Stewart. What I'd want to say in terms of analysis is I want to bring Uncle Sigmund back into the conversation, uh, Mr. Sigmund Freud, and particularly— God, if any—if if Sigmund Freud is any member of your family, he's definitely an uncle. Yeah, a, a just, very— Just sexually inappropriate and smoking constantly. <laughs> yeah, it's a very— Maybe doing cocaine in the bathroom. <laughs> I did a grouch on Mark's face, but you can't see it. I, I did. I, I saw it, though, and Well, it awesome. the audience can't see it. <laughs> well, you should be here. The least desirable of all possible uncles, I think it's safe to say. Um, but um, his most critical analysis sort of related work is uh, his civilization and its discontents. And he talks a lot about that, <clears throat> about uh, sublimation and uh, desublimation, which are what I want to talk about in terms of this film. Uh, what sublimation is, is that uh, human beings are full of these sort of libidinal um, rages and urges, um, both sexual and emotional, um, that there's this part of our brain that's really just for fornicating and fighting. And uh, we have to, and that would be all that we ever did. Uh, if it were not um, for society and sort of its pressures, there would be no creativity. There would be no uh, pushing forward in our lives. And, of course, the repression of those desires that we do um, result in sort of pent-up rage, neurosis, and other sorts of problems. And I think Barry Egan uh, is definitely an example of all of that. And what I find interesting is that he is he's fully sublimated uh, because he's full of rage. He's got he's trying so hard to be socially acceptable. He's trying so hard uh, to you know defend his reputation, to be thought well of by his sisters, by people around him. That's why he's so secretive about. Uh, needing to see a psychiatrist and uh, those sort of and things. And why he's buying pudding. And wh- yeah, exactly. He just he doesn't want anyone to think him strange or unusual. Be- there, there's a little bit of that Patrick Bateman, I want to fit in. Yes, absolutely. But what he does then is he, he starts a business, and he owns the business. It's, it's at, um, you know, um, marginally successful, I would say. And uh, he's doing quite well, but that is the reason he's able to do that. The reason why he's able to have the energies required for that sort of uh, uh, of work of endeavor is, is because he has managed to desubli- or rather sublimate those urges. And of course, um, those uh, outbreaks, those traumas, um, they begin to bring out what's below the surface, sort of you know going on in his id, the lower parts of his brain. Um, and so um, that energy is not always healthily focused, and sometimes becomes destructive. And that's why the film, I think, begins with this moment. Moment of trauma when we see this car roll um, across the uh, way, and then of course the harmonium drops in, and uh, he's beginning to find some way outside of his sublimated existence. He's trying to find some way to desublimate his life, uh, but he is again uh, being racked with guilt, being racked with societal pressures. You know, again, he's being very discontented with civilization, to borrow Freud's title for his book. And uh, he keeps doing those sort of things and keeps being put under those kinds of pressures until finally he meets Lena. Now, this is where I think Freud falls short because he doesn't have a high view of uh, romance or of love. He's the, there's no part of Freud that's sentimental. Um, and I think here is uh, – though this film is not surrealist, it is artistically interesting and visually uh, and time strange. I would not you know, put this uh, film as a uh, necessary or a, a – uh, intuitive uh, connection to the surrealist movement but I would say this they do they did believe in this sort of liberating and freeing power of love that w- if you were to connect with love you would be able to turn those urges and become somewhat revolutionary and begin to turn away from some of those societal requirements some of those discontented things and it's interesting to me that when he punches through the uh, map on the wall you, you might not have noticed this I don't know if you guys did or not but uh, the, mm-hmm. the bloody marks on his hand roughly spell the word love I did that's that's what he needs. 
Um, and, you know, because all you need is love. That's what he's sort of striving for and he's trying to generate in his life. And finally, by meeting Lena, he's able to do something that is really socially unacceptable and not care any longer. He's able to sort of become more comfortable in his own skin. And he becomes sort of uh, this, this raging sort of revolutionary to an extent. Again, uh, even when someone's trying to attack you, it may not be the best thing to beat them all to death in the face with the tire iron. Right. That, but I think what's important about that scene and, and might speak a little bit to what you're talking about is the motivating factor. Cause he's been attacked by these men before and he ran away. The motivating factor is seeing that Lena got hurt mm-hmm. and then he fucks shit up. Yeah. It, it's really amazing. You know, I'd seen the movie before and hadn't seen it in a long time. And I really thought that was more towards the, uh, the middle of the film. And I did. It, I remember that too, actually. And it's in the last 15 minutes that all of that goes down. You know, in an hour and 35 minute long film. And uh, so there, there's sort of this rupture that happens. And again, it's freeing and liberating for him. And he goes and he has his confrontation with Philip Seymour Hoffman, who's brilliant in this film. Shut up! Shut the fuck up! You have no right to take me Shut up! Will you shut up! Shut up! Shut, 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 shut up! And uh, in that confrontation, he says, I got a love in me. And I won't back off, and I won't back down, and it's changed me. And and, and so that movement uh, towards something that's liberating, and it seems to me that what sets Barry free is the power of love, that that is the liberating factor that he experiences uh, in it. And I think it is something very much all of the surrealists, that, that they did have this sort of romantic understanding. And they and they, they were able to pull together this sort of arrows drive, this, this sort of love drive, sex drive, but they're also putting together a death drive that is very, very destructive as well. And, uh, of course, Freud has... Uh, big distinctions between those. I'm thinking of Hal Foster's Compulsive Beauty right now um, as a text about surrealism. And uh, I think in Barry Egan you see sort of Eros and Thanatos working very closely together in his drives. It is something destructive, but at the same time it's liberating uh, for him. And so uh, I find it to be a really fascinating film in sort of a theoretical sense. And uh, that would be the analysis that I would offer to the film. Very well said. Well, thank you, everyone, uh, for that analysis. We come now to a point in the show where we have to choose shelf or trash, and then we begin to recommend our else's or instead. I anticipate unanimity uh, between my dear co-hosts, but we shall see. Uh, Mr. Dalton Stewart, what say you? Oh, shelf, for sure. I mean, obviously. Uh, Paul Thomas Anderson's one of the, the greatest filmmakers of his generation. I, I mean, and all of his work should be treasured, which is why I say else you should check out... Um, I. I to this point, still, I think his masterwork, There Will Be Blood, which is, oh my god. That is a movie that I was not ready to see the first time I watched it, because it came out the same year as No Country for Old Men, which is a much more exciting film to watch. Um, so when I was, you know, 17, 18, you know, however old, uh, about that age when those movies came out, I wasn't quite ready for it. And when I revisited it uh, a year or two ago, it really blew my face off. I mean, I liked it the first time I watched it, but I just wasn't really wild about it, and uh, when I, you know, went and checked back in with it at the age of 22, 23, you know, however long ago it was, I rewatched it. I mean, oh, my God, that is a film. Ugh. I, I would also recommend his recent outing, probably um, his first comedy since Punch Drunk Love, uh, Inherent Vice, which is a, a good bit of fun. Uh, definitely not my favorite of his films, but uh, certainly one that you should check out, especially here in award season. It's a film that didn't get a lot of love, but I think is a very strong film. One of the best films of, of last year, certainly. Uh, I would also recommend you check out Funny People, um, the Judd Apatow film, which features another really great turn from Sandberg. I said Sandberg. Sandler. <laughs> Sandler. Um, and it's really kind of upsetting because in that film, he pokes fun at his career 
and you think maybe he's going to make a turn, and then he went back to doing the same shit that he was doing, which is really unfortunate because Sandler's got it in him. I mean, between this um, and, and Funny, between Punch Drunk Love and Funny People, and I haven't seen Spanglish, but I mean, he's done other dramatic works uh, that are all quite strong, so I would recommend you check that out. Uh, if you haven't seen Funny People, because it's definitely worthwhile. It's a little overly long, but I like it a lot. Uh, last but not least, just thinking of kind of another uh, unconventional love story from about this same time, I think you should check out Michelle Gondry's Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. That was on my list, too. Which features another uh, comedic actor uh, giving a dramatic performance in, in the in the way of Jim Carrey. Um, and really, just a, a powerful film that questions... Is love, you know, the questions the the old axiom. It's better to have loved and lost, I, I think, and, and kind of interrogates and has a has a dialogue with the idea that you know is, is trauma worth the delights of interpersonal connection? And I also think that um, Eternal Sunshine um, has the whole mildly surrealist thing going for it too oh it's it's so, yeah it's much I, more much, surreal much more well it's so, yeah. it's more but i think that it would be a nice double feature with this film because they kind of follow each other tonally and like yeah. the way they're presented they're both the dramedies they both have a lot of yeah surreal choices so definitely yeah excellent excellent thank you very much mr dulster mr arthur gordon what do you say shelf or trash and what are your else's or insteads guys this is a good movie and you definitely probably put this on the shelf the show um I'm really happy that I got to visit again, and honestly, I really wanted to watch it a couple more times this week. I just didn't have the opportunity to do so. Uh, but yeah, check this out; it's it's worth it. Again, I will echo Funny People. Uh, it's a it's a really good movie, and you really get to see uh, Sandler do some really good work there. And it's it's a definitely overlooked film, I think. And he gets in a fight with Eric Bana. Yeah, yeah, he does, and you got to see that. And it's it's one of those movies that people were expecting Happy Gilmore, and they get and they got something closer to punch drunk it's not in the same vein but it's closer to that yeah it was definitely marketed as a straightforward comedy yeah and it's not that at all no. that's probably why i had a bunch of friends go and they said it was bad yeah but you have a lot of dumb friends i'm noticing sorry <laughs> they don't know any it's not so much um you know stupidity is ignorance about film and stuff which, which I consider, i'm still learning well i consider ignorance about film stupidity but that's just who i am as, <laughs> that's uh, that's see. that's my struggle to get over <laughs> yeah it's just a philosophical difference philosophical i would also say uh just to finish this up i'd say the cohen's burn after reading and the big lebowski mm-hmm. just Ooh, big lebowski that's a good one that was comedies. on my list it's a good choice yeah adored adored filmmakers doing comedies yeah and then i would say check out happy gilmore or billy madison just to see oh. just to see what sandler's capable of. they're both they're both so good yeah the, that's him making good <laughs> straightforward comedy yeah well, thank you very much, Mr. Arthur Gordon. Miss Alexander Bohannon, what do you say? Shelf or trash? And what are your else's or instead's? Super shelf. I don't have, I don't, I'm not a collector. I'm not a movie connoisseur, but this is like, as soon as I can find out where to buy a special edition of this movie, I'm going to go and buy it. So you should too, listener. Um, I would kind of piggyback on everyone else's suggestions because most of mine were taken, except for. Um, don't know the director, but stranger than fiction, because we got another, you know, funny man having, being put in kind of a surrealist comedic role. Um, and there's a lot of meta stuff going on in that film and it ends in a love story. So, um, I really like stranger than fiction. I think that'd be a good pairing with this as well. Um, and then I just echo pretty much everything else everyone else says. 
Well, thank you very much, Ms. Alexander Bohannon. Um, it's already on my shelf, and let me tell you something, dear listener. Having the shelfable copy is worth your time. The special features on it are, are – they're, they're, they're sort of artsy, and uh, they have these sort of uh, – uh, moments where they take uh, kind of key scenes from the film from different takes and put them together with those uh, washes to the color bars and the bits of sound. Oh, and wow. it's, there's probably seven, eight minutes of those. Uh, it, and is this like a special edition or it's a Blu-ray? It's the deluxe, I believe is what they call it. Okay. It's the deluxe edition. I just need to know that. And it's on DVD, the version I have. Um, there's also a couple deleted scenes. There's a scene in which there's a kid playing outside and Adam just thinks he's so cute. And Aww. because he's so cute, he wants to crush his skull. Um, <laughs> and it's really kind of disturbing. Kind of a kind of a prelude to that scene in bed with uh Where Emily, he's like Emily Watson. Eat your yes. Eyes. Well, she that's her. That's oh my god. That is the most adorable post-coital scene I think that has ever been put to film. I I love that scene that that scene between the two of them. I'm looking at your face and I just want to smash it. I just want to fucking smash it with a sledgehammer and squeeze it. You're so pretty. Also, there is a uh, an outtake uh, commercial of the D and D Mattress Man, uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman. Um, oh, I bet yeah. that's wonderful. Try, trying to to uh, you know, he looks he's, he's not playing a guitar, but they're going to work the sound in later. It's obvious he's standing on top of like an RV, and below him is an uh, is an old Cadillac uh, limousine with about five mattresses on top of. And he's telling you about the deal of how what the price is for queen size and king size mattresses. And the joke is he's going to jump off the RV onto the mattresses. Unfortunately, he bounces off of them and hits the ground <gasps> no it's, <laughs> it's it's really hilarious and fantastic and i watched it three times after i, I finished the film because i think seymour hoffman does the stunt all right shut the fuck up i think I, yeah. all, right, all, right, shut, all right shut the fuck up <laughs> no really he does the stunt i'm pretty sure <laughs> so I'm gonna, I'm gonna definitely definitely say shelf um, my other choices were big lebowski already mentioned i think it's a great pairing with this and then i want to go back to an antecedent i think you should see singing in the rain mm-hmm. um that a lot oh, of gene yeah. kelly off the, all over this and i think it's definitely uh worth your time and that would be a fun double bill where that would be sort of the more traditional love story but again i think it deals interestingly with sublimation and desublimation and you know there's a bit of dolly because they have the infinite landscape in a, in a scene uh, where Gene Kelly da- dances with Shid- Sid Charisse, and uh, it's pretty fantastic, so I recommend it highly. But thank you so much for those recommendations, uh, dear co-hosts. Uh, the syllabus just got longer for you, dear listener, um, in our film studies approach to Punch Drunk Love. Uh, let's move on to where we can talk about how you could talk with us about what we said or didn't say or should have said, and that's through that magical means that we all know as social media. Mr. Arthur Gordon, do you know anything about that social media stuff? Uh, I, yeah, actually, I do. Um, you can email us at goodtrashgenrecast at gmail.com. Uh, send in some long-form letters to us, and we'll read those on the air. Uh, you could also check us out uh, in the more culturally relevant place of Facebook on facebook.com forward slash goodtrashgenrecast, one word. Uh, we have a couple bits of feedback coming in. In response to us posting our episode over I, Frankenstein, Nick Sanford said, So did you guys already do every other movie ever made? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes, we have. Listen uh, to the episode, Nicholas. Uh, also, Randall Bays, I asked, uh, Dalton had put feelers out on uh, Twitter about things people may want to see from the show, movies and such, and so I did something similar on uh, Facebook, and Randall Bays uh, replied and said that he would like us to someday do Priscilla, Queen of the Desert. Oh, shit, yeah. Yeah, we need to. I was talking about that movie t- or just yesterday. So, yes, yes, we do. So that could be in your future, Randall. 
Well, thank you very much, uh, Mr. Arthur Gordon. Mr. Dalton Stewart, do you know anything else about social media means by which a conversation may be held? Dustin, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry I left you at the hospital. I called a phone sex line. Uh, I called a phone sex line before I met you, and four blonde brothers came after me, and they hurt you, and I'm sorry. Then I had to leave again because I wanted to make sure you never got hurt again. And I have a lot of tweets, but in six to eight weeks it can be redeemed. So if you could just give me that much time, I think I can get enough mileage to go with you wherever you have to travel for work because I don't ever want to be anywhere without you. So could you just let me redeem the tweets? Okay. Ladies and gentlemen, we can be found on Twitter at good underscore trash. Do we have any feedback coming in from that Twitter? Uh, we, we have a uh, – not really. <laughs> uh, we did have one more um, response uh, to, you know, just suggestions for marathons and that sort of thing from Brigham Cole. He said, if you want to get a month of Ameriboners – uh, I'm sorry. He said America boners, but I like America boners. <laughs> I'm sorry. America boners is my canon for what he said. Same. Uh, he said there are enough Tom Clancy novels made into movies, five to be exact. So that might be something. That's not a bad idea. No, we not... could have a very explosive July. Well, not all of Tom Clancy's novels are explosive. A lot oh. of times they're just talking about policy. We could also do Stephen King and Michael Crichton. Ooh, now there's a thing. I like both of those. He, he also sent me a link to another Red Letter Media video uh, called Anti-Hype, and it seemed to be uh, uh, negative towards boyhood, so I, I did not watch it. I'm sorry. <laughs> Brigham, you know how I hate it when you send me things that attack things I love. Uh, we did have some retweets and favorites, and we also got a tweet from a, a new follower. Or he's not really a follower, actually. So just some guy tweeted at all of us and said, <laughs> what movie was that? Uh, that is at... G.Y. Duke Fahut. I, I don't really know how to, to say his Twitter handle, but he asked me what, asked us what movie was that, but I couldn't. It, he didn't link it to the thing he was asking about. <laughs> what movie was it, G.Y. the Hut? I don't know. So I asked him what movie was what. Uh, so we were awaiting response. Mr. Fahut, uh, let us know, and um, I'd be more than happy to answer your question. I'm bud. waiting with bated breath. I must know <laughs> what movie was that. <laughs> uh, but that is all we have coming in from Twitter this week. Excellent. Of course, dear listener, you can give us uh, feedback at iTunes, at Stitcher Internet Radio, also at the Podbean site from which all this originates. Um, and there are social share links uh, there for you. And I, I'm, I'm told that there's enhanced Twitter capabilities there. So um, by all means, uh, jump on that. Do we have any new iTunes reviews? Or? No. Do we have a lot more hits? In January? You know, we had a good month in January. Thank you, dear listener, for your faithfulness, for your return to faithfulness. Thank you for coming and hearing what we have to say as new listeners. Um, it was a really, really good month uh, for the show, and so we're, we're glad that you're enjoying or at least um, beginning to start the material before you turn it off um, from us. We, there's no way of telling how long you've uh, actually listened, but we're so glad that you're clicking that play button, and uh, it's, it's just a, it's a happy making thing. Our listens were over 5,000. 9,000. 9, 9, shit. Fail. Eh, whatever. Who cares? All right. Well, let's move on, guys. I think it's probably about time to play the game. Time to play the game. Time to play the game. <laughs> this game, this week's game, is our favorite fish out of water acting moments. That's right, favorite fish-out-of-water acting moments, brought to you by Punch Drunk Love, Punch Drunk Love, by mattresses, and pudding, and phone sex. <laughs> yes. Maybe in that order, I'm not sure. <laughs> uh, pudding, 
Mattresses. Mattresses. Mattress pudding. Mattress can go a really bad place really fast. Mattress to lay on. Phone sex, phone sex to have fun while you're laying on the mattress with and then, pudding and then putting no pudding's a pick me up afterwards that's that's what i was thinking like a yeah. cigarette oh, yeah it's a it's a it's a snack huh a little oh. recharge well let, let's play that game shall we uh, <laughs> 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 the mattress game <laughs> mr arthur gordon what are your favorite fish out of water um acting uh picks well i'm going to start on television and say mr brian cranston uh from going from Oddball dad on Malcolm in the Middle to Walter White. That's probably one of the Good most interesting uh, choices. I'd say uh, Matthew McConaughey in 2013. Just the whole year. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, going back in time a little bit, I'd say uh, George Clooney as Seth Gecko and From Dust Till Dawn coming off of his stint on ER as yeah. the two-shoe doctor. Uh, Wait, I'm sorry, McConaughey in 2013 or 2014? 13, wasn't it? 13, well, that's right. 13, 14. Uh, yeah, I was thinking about True Detective. Sorry. Uh, okay. But that was that was because that was early 14. You're okay, right. yeah. yeah. That's a good pick, though, of uh, George Clooney in, in that film. Yeah. Uh, and finally, I'm going to say another comedian who did very well for himself in drama, Robin Williams in uh, One Hour Photo slash Insomnia, where he just kind of goes all all out creepy, kooky, crazy. Mm-hmm. And then he does a, a, yeah. a really good turn there. Thank you very much, Mr. Arthur Gordon. Mr. Dalton Stewart, what are your picks? I just want to Ar- – Arthur mentioning McConaughey. I meant to mention this when we did our uh, top tens of the year. I meant to ga- give a shout-out to True Detective. I mean, it's an eight-hour movie and was one of the best things I saw <laughs> in 2014. Yeah. Um, so I totally meant to give some love to that and forgot. But um, my picks for this game, though, um, first of all, I want to mention John Hamm, his, his notable comedy turn on Saturday Night, Saturday Night Live and on 30 Rock and just – and Bridesmaids after kind of – Busting out uh, onto the scene. I mean, he'd been a working actor for years, but after you know gaining national notoriety with Mad Men uh, and being a very serious dramatic actor, doing all of this comedy. Um, uh, now it's kind of old hat for him to be doing comedy, but uh, oh my gosh, when he, when we found out he had comedy chops, it was awesome. John Hamm is arguably the best thing about Bridesmaids in my eyes. He was one of my favorite parts of that movie. The fact that Bridesmaids' first line of dialogue is John Draper saying. Oh yeah, cut my balls. That is, as a Mad Men fan, the first time I saw that movie, I about threw up laughing just in the first five seconds of that movie. Uh, next, I, I do want to give a shout out to Arnold Schwarzenegger um, for um, uh, Kindergarten Cop. Uh, yes, just oh my gosh, he's so funny in that movie. What's the matter? Oh, I have a headache. It might be a tumor. It's not a tumor. It's not a tumor at all. And he's done a couple of. Uh, Jingle all the way. Yeah, he's done some, well, but that's not a very good movie. <laughs> um, but he is so funny in Kindergarten Cop and, and really has a great uh, interplay with those kids and has some great comedic moments there. And also Twins. I've never, I was I, thinking Danny about DeVito. Twins, I've never too. seen Twins. Oh, it's so good. Or yeah. Junior. It's, uh, junior's not as good. No. Um, speaking of Arnold, that made me think of Predator, which made me think of Predators. And I want to give a shout out to Adrian Brody. Liam Neeson's getting a, a lot of talk about he, him being the action guy now, but Adrian Brody gives a turn as the action badass in Predators that is totally believable. I mean, the, the skinny guy from The Pianist uh, is just badass wearing a sleeveless like Kevlar vest and just messing shit up in that movie, fighting uh, man-hunting aliens. Um Everybody else is playing type in there. I mean, Danny Trejo's in there. Walton Goggins is in there. Everybody's pretty much playing their type. Uh, but Adrian Brody, like, being the tough guy, was 
to this day, something that I don't think anybody really expected. And he's very good in that movie. And really, just while we're talking about it, that's an underrated movie overall. Uh, if you guys haven't uh, ever had a chance to check out that third sequel, or second sequel to the Predator uh, uh, franchise, you really should, because it's definitely better than Predator 2, um, Electric Boogaloo. I have a soft spot for Predator 2, but that's okay. I mean, it's not... It's not terrible. It's just not very good. I I like it too. Uh, Danny Glover, uh, perpetually too old for any shit. <laughs> uh, last but not least, uh, you mentioned um, Matthew McConaughey. Uh, I I thought you were going to mention one of my picks, which was uh, the immaculate performance that Tom Cruise gives as Les Grossman in Tropic Thunder. He was he was he was close. I thought about yeah. him. You want me to sacrifice my the, the scene with him and McConaughey? You want me. To sacrifice my friend of 15 years for a G6 airplane and a shitload of money. (laughs) (laughs) And then he first shows up. It's him and Bill Hader just, oh, my God, they're so funny together. Hey, who's the key grip on this picture? You. I want you to punch him in the nose really fucking hard. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, him in that, that weird, hairy fat suit. Yeah. Oh, man, a lot of fun. So those are my, my picks for uh, fish-out-of-water acting moments. Thank you very much, Mr. Dalton Stewart. Miss Alexander Bohannon, what are your selections? Well, uh, my selections are a mix of film and TV. I would say that 2000, I guess that's 2014, 2014's Amazon Prime streaming uh, transparent with Jeff- Jeffrey Tambor. I don't think anyone expected that to happen. That is a different role. Um, that is a definitely a different role than playing a George Senior um, in Arrested Development. Tambor's got chops, man. Yeah, I like him a lot. He's got a lot of yeah. skill. He's a very talented actor. Where you been? Are you wearing my dead wife's maternity clothes? Yeah, it's the only thing I could find. Where the eggs? <sighs> Doctor says they're bad for the baby. I would say that also um, Christian Bale in American Hustle, um, he had to put on a substantial amount of weight. Weight changes are no uh, no stranger for him, but yeah, you're right. He's usually getting cut. We're losing weight, not putting that much on. But he's really funny in that movie, right? Yeah. He's. He, I never really appreciated that he had that comedic ability. Plus, he is able to just slip easily into every role that he tries. And I'd also like to give a shout out to Peter Dinklage as well in um, Game of Thrones because um, everyone, I think, unfortunately for Dinklage, no one really appreciated him for an actor um, less as a, a little person. Yeah, The little person was first as a, as a casting choice. Like, mm-hmm. I'm thinking Elf and uh, um, Death at a Funeral, which well, is also, a hilarious comedy, mm-hmm. by the way. Just being played for laughs, though, yeah. Well, right. and, he, and he was in Nip Tuck. He had, he had a small role on there for about half a season. And, yeah, it was very much centered around the fact that he was a little person. And, of course, Tyrion Lannister, I mean, part of him getting cast as Tyrion Lannister is that he's a little person. Right. But... But I, I, yeah, I think he's that able was to secondary. excel far beyond that for one and show off his casting abilities to the point where he's just, you know, another guy. I think that that mm-hmm. lens is kind of fading from him as he's been able to experience having like a really well, yeah. kick-ass role. I mean, he got cast as one of the secondary antagonists in the, the last X-Men movie. And the fact that he's a little person is not mentioned once in that film. It it is just he just got cast as that part, with, yeah, yeah, which is awesome, which is really cool, and, and I think we should be doing more. God, he's so good. Oh yes, he's a stud. He's, he's he has a, a nice he, face. He's a he's an amazing actor. He really is. 
Well, thank you very much, Miss Alexander Bohannon. I only have a couple things I want to mention. I want to echo everything that my dear co-hosts have said. But um, previously mentioned was Priscilla, Queen of the Desert. And I just want to talk about Guy Pierce and, and Hugo Weaving, uh, Lord Elrond of Rivendell playing a drag queen. Mm. It, it's a thing that happens, and he is so good. And also Guy Pierce. Guy Pierce is just fantastic. Which is funny because, I mean, that film was a big hit before, you know, either of them really had much of careers, but I don't think uh, it kind of became the, the cult hit it was in America until after both of them were known quantities from The Matrix and from Memento and, you know, really kind of becoming popular film nerds. Uh, before that film kind of... Because when was that, 95, 96? Oh, I couldn't tell you. I've, I feel like, though, it was probably before their their breakouts here in the States. I think that's fair. Um, and Terrence Stamp also uh, does does some good work that way. Oh, and, Terrence Stamp. And he's just, he's so funny. I also just want to mention one other funny man doing a dark turn, and that's Jim Carrey. Um, and The Number 23, which is a movie that a lot of people don't like, but I really like his performance in that. Um, he is creepy, scary, he's sometimes funny. Uh, he could be a, a serial killer. And, uh, and it's just really, really fantastic. And uh, so I really, really enjoyed his dark performance, you know, a la Robin Williams uh, in that. So the uh, the sequences uh, were I, I don't know. If, have you guys either? Of you? I haven't seen it. OK, so yeah. you've seen it yeah. as well. You're right, Dustin. I mean, and it's probably not a good movie, but there's some really cool stuff in there. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it's much maligned for no reason. I love the sequences uh, from the novel that, that are very like super stylized, yes. heavy neo-noir. I really like those sequences a lot from that film. The Suicide Blonde sequence is just really, really fantastic. Really cool, yeah. yeah. And so, uh, yeah, love that very much, and so that would be my recommend. Thank you so much, dear co-host, uh, for that. Dear listener, we'd love to hear your favorite fish-out-of-the-water acting performances uh, in cinema and in television, and uh, just go ahead and send that via those magical means of social media that we've already discussed. But now is the time to talk about what's got us fired up this week in pop culture, and I hope um, my dear co-hosts have you brought should. in the fire. Well, let's see how fired up you are, Mr. Arthur Gordon. What do you say? I am not fired up at all. Excellent. Thank you very much. Mr. Dallin Stewart, are you fired up? I am, as a matter of fact. Um, I recently watched, um, it's, it's been in my Netflix queue for a long time, but I recently watched American, the Bill Hicks story. Um, which is a documentary that his friend Dwight Slade, his lifelong friend Dwight Slade, uh, made in his honor, just kind of talking about his influence on uh, stand-up comedy and his career. And just, again, the story of Bill Hicks is very much just a biography of of a man that is widely regarded, one of the greatest stand-up comedians that ever lived, uh, and who, you know, had his life cut short just as he was really kind of making it big. Um, And it's really powerful and really moving uh, and just a, a great, story about you know personal drive and overcoming your demons and uh, and just caring about your art and wanting to t- touch people and connect with people and, and really do something meaningful with your life um, and it was really it's a really great documentary it came out in 2010 um, again streaming on Netflix it's been there for a while but I, I can't more highly recommend it I know a lot of our listeners um, thinking specifically of Brigham Cole and Nick Sanford actually um, are big Bill Hicks fans. So if you haven't seen this documentary, you should definitely check it out. Again, streaming on Netflix. So uh, the nightly show with Larry Wilmore just finished its second week. Yes. The successor to the Colbert Report. Have you guys been watching? I have. No. I have too. Um, I feel like it took maybe an episode or two to kind of find its legs, but I'm really enjoying it. Um, I still think Larry is growing into the role of host. Um, the The panel 
format kind of threw me off because that was not what I was expecting at all. More kind of real time. Well, it's, yeah, and that's he's even said that it is in very in many ways he, he's considering it kind of a cross between the Daily Show format and that real time slash politically incorrect format. Um, but I'm really enjoying it, Dustin. How, what do you think about it? I really like it overall. I, I think the uh, keeping it a hundred segment is the weakest thing that they're doing right now. I kind I, of I give it weak tea. You give it weak tea. I really do. I like it when the questions are good, and they're not always good though. They're not though. When and, the questions are good, it's really good. And and there seems to be this sort of awkwardness that he has. He doesn't really want to skewer people he doesn't know. You mm-hmm. know, which I mean, I understand that he just wants to be a nice person and mm-hmm. polite. Uh, for instance, when they were the, the vaccination episode, I was thinking of that. Yeah, and, and it, he really wants to. You know, I think he. I mean, he clearly has an opinion. Uh, oh, vaccinate yeah. your children for crying out loud. Yeah. But that being said, uh, he doesn't really want to skewer that person. And I, I think his unwillingness to do that. Although she should be because she's a fucking crazy person. Totally agree. Um, the, but that unwillingness sort of uh, takes the edge off of what that sort of questioning is supposed to do. And so mm-hmm. um, he either needs to get meaner or he needs to find some other outlet for that. I know I, I say a lot of mean things about conservatives on this show, but never let it be said that I don't think liberals do really dumb shit all the time, like paleo diets and not vaccinating their children. Mm-hmm. So, you know, everyone is stupid. But I agree. Um, I think he's growing into that role as a host, but I really liked it. I, I wanted to give it a couple of weeks before I said anything about it on the, here on the air um, to really form my opinion about it. But I like Larry Wilmore a lot. I loved him when he was on The Daily Show. So I, I, I hope big things for him. I still wish they'd been able to keep the original title, The Minority Report. Mm, nice. That's funny. Yeah. Okay. So that is the same thing. I was. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I also today watched um, They Came Together, uh, which is, yeah, uh, David Wayne's newest film. Uh, it stars uh, Paul Rudd and Amy Poehler. And it is a, it really, it came out last year. Um, didn't get a big release, but it is a very almost loving uh, send-up of romantic comedies um, in which every scene, like literally every character is the the cliche that they would be in the romantic comedy, and it very clearly says this is exactly who they are. Like, the, the opening scene of the film, Amy Poehler talks, is it's framed with them telling the story of how they met, and, and she goes, yeah, it's just like a cheesy romantic comedy, and they're like, oh, really, how so? He's like, well, he's he's roman- he's handsome, but in a non-threatening way, and he's vaguely Jewish, but not explicitly, <laughs> and just everything, and just totally skewers the format of all romantic comedies, and it's really funny and really strange. Uh, it has a lot of amazing sight gags, uh, and Christopher Maloney uh, shits himself. Excellent. Yeah, it's really funny. Uh, lastly, I'm fired up in a bad way. Ooh, Ooh s- I want to hear. Do say. Um, so I watched the first half of the Super Bowl before I came over here, uh, and I saw two commercials that really kind of rubbed me the wrong way. Uh, the first one was a Nissan commercial uh, about this dad who's a, a race car driver, uh, and his son just loves him so much, and he picks him up, and it just goes from him his birth to his teen years, and he just wants to be like his daddy. He just wants to be like his daddy, but daddy's never there because he's racing his cars. This is playing Cats in the Cradle in the background. Yeah, which actually oh, no. really good musical choice. Oh, it starts out, and it's kind of moving. And then it gets to the end, and he just gets in a – his dad's a Nissan race car driver, but he drives a regular Nissan because reasons. And he picks him up from school one day, and he just gives him a hug, and it's like, okay, yeah, you know, you can be an absentee father as long as you have a kick-ass job, I guess, is the message of that. Like, you can still be a loving and good father as long as your job's cool, even if you're never there. I'm not sure that's the reading that they intend with the commercial. Oh, I know that's not what they intended, but that's what it said. 
What makes me really angry is a, a, a really key sort of PSA announcement about fathers being in, li- in, in the, involved in the lives of their sons um, is, is being washed under uh, selling a commercial Dove product. Dove soap, yeah. A Dove soap or uh, Nissan's, and that and really, really gets my panties in a bunch. That's the weird thing about Super Bowl commercials now. I think it started with the Budweiser commercials. Budweiser Super Bowl commercials, um, the, the, like the last 10 years, one of they have always had more than one Super Bowl spot, but one of them... Has been like kind of a moving one, like the, this year the dog coming home. Like I don't know when this happened, but yeah, this, this weird like sentimentality, and then buy shit. Um, to quote Bill Hicks, um, if you're in marketing or advertising, kill yourself. Um, there's a really great that a bit he does about marketing. Um, yeah, I have a big problem with especially all the Dove Real Beauty slash whatever makeup product you're trying to sell everybody, um, saying that you're beautiful, just buy our makeup because you're obviously ugly without it. Well, it's Dove, it's Dove Soap, and I actually kind of like that campaign, but yeah, again, it's and, all I mean, it, but buy it's, our shit. Right. You know? I mean, the message may be great, but as long as you're you're using it um, in a manipulative way, I don't give a fuck what you say. Absolutely. And, th- <laughs> and that brings me to the other one that pissed me off. Which was just this thing about how your pre- preventable accidents are the number one co- cause of death of children. Oh, the scary nationwide. nationwide. Yeah. Fuck you, nationwide. You are not on my side. Um, what in the world were you thinking, you goddamned monsters? Yeah, it's pretty awful. There's like a full bathtub that's overflowing, a TV falling over, like basically all kinds of household accidents. And let your brain insert a dead baby in there. Fuck off, Nationwide. What is... What in the world? No. No. Yeah, that no. Com- that commercial needs to have a baby with McDonald's and Coca-Cola and get a little happier. Seriously. God, that Coca-Cola commercial. Uh, again, I was like, uh, that's not how the world works. Um, but also, yeah, good for you, Coke, I guess. It, and that's the weird thing, is it's like when these gigantic evil corporations do say something good... Like the Coke commercial about don't be a dick on the internet, basically. I kind of was like, well, that was a nice thing. And it's basically like be the change you want to see, essentially, is the message of the commercial. And I was like, I mean, Coke is not the way to get there, uh, the beverage or the uh, narcotic, but still. Um, okay. And, and then finally, uh, back to, to not leave on a happy note, uh, there was a sweet uh, Fast and the Furious 7 uh, trailer during the Super Bowl uh, where – uh, Vin Diesel jumps a Lamborghini from one tower in Dubai to another and then jumps out before it careens out of a building. Alex, I'll kick it over to you. I'm done rambling. Are you fired up this week in pop culture? I am fired up, and I am fired up about a topic that I never thought I would be, and that's professional wrestling. We've entered the uncanny valley. <laughs> Go on. <laughs> okay. I, last weekend, I visited some friends, um, and they are really into NXT, which is uh, basically the WWD, WWE's kind of like college tier circuit. So it's their like pool of people that they take up to the main stage show. Like yeah, like AAA baseball. Exactly. So, um, but it's run. It's not run by the same people. Really? Huh? That's really a thing. There's yeah, let's <laughs> say like, yeah. Wrestling it's has the a farm minor club. leagues. Yeah, it's a fa- <laughs> it's a farm pool. You don't know about this? No. Yeah. yeah. Um. So I'm really excited about it because NXT has really good storylines. They're interesting. The you know the people you you hate are really hateable. The people you're supposed to like are really likable. There's a lot of good talent there, and I'm really impressed by the women and especially the women's storylines mm-hmm. because Arthur, you're nodding, so I'm assuming you're watching NXT. Yeah, I do. 
yay. Okay, for one, yay. Uh, I knew um, Arthur liked pro wrestling. Yeah. Um, but the fact that, like, un- unlike the main stage show, not every fight is motivated on, you took my boyfriend, I'm going to kick your ass. Basically, there are reasons why these women are wrestling. I love Bailey. I bet you love Bailey, too. Yeah. Yeah, okay. Bailey is this adorable wrestler. She is literally adorable. It's it's so strange. She's not, like, the bad bitch wrestling stereotype. She's an adorable wrestler. Those are two descriptors that are not usually placed against one another. Again, I know, which is amazing. The way things. Yes, and, and basically her thing is giving hugs to everyone, and she wears, like, bows and bright colors and it's fantastic we are all up in the uncanny valley now. yes <laughs> i know nothing much like john no Snow. i really know nothing about wrestling either i just started watching it and so i, I watched w- for years from like 12 to 15 and uh, the older i got the more i just hated it because it's very problematic there's actually a really great documentary about all the problematic problematic uh, gender messages in profession, and sp- specifically the WWE. Yeah, just really, really troubling things about bullying and misogyny and homophobia, and it's just real. It's real bad. Yeah, I mean, Arthur's watched longer than I have. I just I've watched a couple of specials, but NXT at this point. pretty good. Yeah, yeah, and there's some really great like duos. Um, I'm thinking of the Vaude villains. Um, yeah. Basically, they are. It's a tag team. I'm sorry. Did you just say the Vaude villains? Vaude yeah. villains. There, it is a. It's a tag team. Justin is as happy <laughs> physically as I am. Okay, internally. we're gonna we're gonna watch at least a small sliver of the Vaude villains. Yes. Okay, he'd love that. Okay, so basically, the Vaude villains are two night. Uh, like old school vaudeville strong men type characters. Yeah. Fuck yeah. The haircuts, the like mustaches, the, the hoop, yeah, yeah. the mustaches, oh, like the, the one arm singlets. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it is real. It, it and is they're bad awesome. guys. And they're, and yeah. I mean, they're the bad guys that you want to win because they're awesome. They're like Legion of Doom kind of thing. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. You want that. Yeah. Right. Um, but in the Justin knows wrestling. See, from the I, 80s. Yeah. <laughs> so Ooh, when, yeah. when the earthquake crushed Hulk Hogan, yeah. that's when I quit. <laughs> that's <laughs> that the day the music died? That, that's the day the music died. I was See, done. like, I really don't know anything about wrestling, except I learned recently that my one of my uncle, one of my cousins of a distant lineage is actually a, a big wrestling family. Like, they were in, they had a wrestling bear um, yeah, uh, just the Welch's wrestling bear. It's, it's a thing apparently. So anyway, so I'm starting to watch wrestling. I really like it. And, uh, the athleticism of these guys. Oh, it's amazing. It's incredible. Yeah. That four man suplex in the fatal, the, the fatal yeah. four way. <laughs> what the f- gee alex is blowing my mind and dustin's right now but you're right. i mean these and the thing that's kind of cool about pro wrestling is that there's no off season i mean it's not like baseball or basketball i mean these guys are doing it all the time and they're getting hurt really bad oh yeah. yeah one guy got his nose broken recently P- um, we're, we're talking slipped discs and you know compound fractures i mean Concussions. Concu- lot, I it's mean, people get real. hurt really yeah. bad, and they're all in amazing shape. They never stop working out. I mean, which obviously, yeah, is probably a, 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 a nice foothold for Alex to get into it. I'm sorry. It's really cool. No, it is very <laughs> cool. I'm not making <laughs> and, fun of you. And the fact that um, Heath explained it probably the best, it's it's the kind of the Shakespearean um, the the Shakespearean play of our times because it's just overtly dramatic and it's got all this physical comedy. Someone I don't know if that's an accurate statement because Dustin's making a face. He did a De Niro face. I thought more like soap operas for men. Soap yeah. operas for men. That's Much also more accurate. Yeah. yeah. Anyway. 
Well, thank you very much for that, Alex Bohan. And I'm so glad we went down that crazy. <laughs> I'm valley very excited now. to go down this valley too. So, so now, now I'm going to take like this weird turn and talk about a Chilean movie from 2008. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So yeah. I feel, oh yeah. I, 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 <laughs> Snap into a slim jim. Oh, yeah. <laughs> And um, I, I'm a member of Brother. Don't let it get doesn't over. matter what you watched. <laughs> and I'm done. Can you smell what Dustin's watching? Woo! Chilean <laughs> the movie. Nature Boy. <laughs> the Nature Boy. I knew, I knew that reference. Oh, Ric Flair. God, what an asshole. <laughs> <laughs> the best heel that ever lived. So the name of the film society at Oklahoma State is uh, CRASS, the Claude Rains Appreciation Society, <laughs> also because CRASS, and, uh, which makes me laugh a lot. And we actually don't watch a lot of Claude Rains films, but I went to um, our last meeting, and we screened a film, and we screened a movie called Tony Monero, which is uh, by the same director that made the recent um, Pinochet uh, documentary, pseudo-documentary, No, in which, which is supposed to be amazing. supposed to be really good. Uh, Tony Monero, also amazing. And it's all about this character uh, called Raul, who is obsessed obsessed with John Travolta in Saturday Night Fever, and he wants to be him so bad. He, he thinks he's they, – they're running this sort of uh, unlicensed – I would – Speakeasy's probably the closest you know American analog uh, restaurant slash um, entertainment club, and they're all sort of living there. And uh, he's doing everything he can to sort of make it on uh, their, this you know live – um, television show in which you'll win a blender and maybe get entered into for a possibility of winning 70,000 pesos, which is not a lot of money. And uh, he is a monster. He does a great many terrible things. Um, there's the entire backdrop of the whole Pinochet dictatorship. Um, this is post the, the Allende uh, coup. And uh, it's a shot sort of a cinema verite meets uh, documentary styling. So think something like uh, the, the wedding scene bits in Lars von Trier's Melancholia meets um, what you see in uh, Children of Men. It's sort of the, as if those two styles had a baby, and uh, it's it is really um, heartbreaking at times, funny at times, disturbing film, and uh, it's really super duper duper hard to find. And I think DVDs are quite expensive. You can find them, but they're very very expensive. And uh, but I I could not recommend that movie more highly. It is just really really good, and I really enjoyed that view. So um, I took it to this weird kind of sad place um, after all the uh, vaude villains and what have you and whatnot. But um, I'm so glad that we've been able to have this conversation, and I'm so glad that uh, you have stayed with us this far, dear listener, uh, to hear us talk about movies. We'd love to hear what you've got to say about that. We'd like to hear what you're fired up about this week in popular culture. So our next is uh, we always have every month a host pick, and we're sticking with this sort of um, anti-trash theme and also this romance theme. And that anti-trash romantic theme pick goes to Miss Alexandra Bohannon. And what have you selected, ma'am? I've selected the a little film by the title Blue is the Warmest Color. It's the 2012 or 2013 winner at Cannes. I want to say 12, but I could be wrong. I don't know offhand. 13. No, you're right, 13. 13, yeah. Yeah. And so we're very, very excited to be taking a look at a three-hour-long um, lesbian love story, and uh, it's going to be uh, good times uh, had by all of us. Dear listener, take a look at that. Take a look at any movie and realize that no matter what the film is, there are intelligent conversations to be had, and that's what makes watching the movie so valuable. And so we hope to see you again very soon. See you next time. Love, love, love. 
Miss Alexandra Bohannon, what are your favorite fish out of water picks? Shit, make me go last, please. <laughs> oh, the ladies always go last. Because he's a gentleman. Wait, that's not how that's supposed to work. Oh, shit. Basically, I'm a tri- I'm comparing. I hit myself in the head. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> like, what the hell happened? <laughs> I'm like, get down. <laughs> okay. Get I hit- to the chopper. <laughs> I, just, I just hit myself in the head with my own necklace. <laughs> that was hilarious. I, I really hope that it got picked up by the audio. No, it did. That's yeah, why did. we like twitched and looked at you. 